microphone. Must have been Georgia's. Thank you all for coming today. So excited about what God has already started to do in this place, what God is doing in our church in this season. The revival we're in, the souls that are being baptized and receiving the Spirit of God. It is, it is time for that. It is time for that. We know that God has a reason and purpose for everything He does. As you're standing, we're going to jump into Scripture here. Thank you for all y'all that are, are in support of Pastor Green. He's traveling. He'll be back soon. So please remember him in your prayers, his health, his family, his protection. Thank Pastor for allowing us to be here today and allowing us to serve. He has been a challenge. He's been a challenge to us to take us not from just a, a saint, just sitting on the pew hanging out. He will push you and challenge you to be what God called you to be, and I'm so thankful for that. Before I met Pastor Green, I've, I was groomed and, and been through a lot of study and a lot of training classes, but you're just kind of hanging out. But if you've ever met Pastor Green and his wife, they don't let you just hang out. They will look in your face and challenge you and say, God said, and say, you need to. And they don't put it in like super spiritual terms where you don't understand. They say, hey, you know what? Maybe you should change jobs. Maybe you should take that job. Maybe you should invest there. Maybe you should save your money. Maybe they get all down in where you live at because they're your pastor. So I want to encourage you today, if they're not your pastor, adopt them as your pastor. Adopt them as your pastor and be, be okay with wanting to grow and develop. Romans 5, 2 through 5, or, or just Romans 5, if you want to turn there. We're going to begin reading. A, for me, a very, very familiar passage, and I'll explain why shortly. Verse 2 says, Though whom we have gained access by faith into his grace, in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. We, we love to talk about how good God is. and Man, God's glory is awesome. We boast in that, and that is something we need to do. We speak faith. We speak life. We, we love to talk about God's blessings and how good he has been. And God is good. Can I get an amen today? See, we know. God is good. We think we know God is good. And the next verse says, and not only so, not just that, but we also glory or rejoice in our sufferings. We glory and rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance or character, and character produces hope, and the hope that doesn't make us ashamed. It's hope in God, hope in the word of God and the spirit of God. Because God's love has been poured out onto us in our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Not in your ability, it's through the spirit of God that was given to us. It is a gift that God left for us and he gave to us. Not only so, we rejoice in the suffering so that we know. My title today is Now you know. Now you know. Not because everything has been good, but maybe now you, now you know because maybe things have went bad. Because you learn to rejoice in the suffering. See, there's a, a relationship with you. There's a relationship with God you get in that is more than just a minimum of I'm, I now gave my life to Christ and everything's good, so now I'm going to serve God and God is good because things are good. There's a maturity in God, a depth in God, a relationship with God that goes with him all the way to the cross and dies and sacrifices and says, now, I know God's good not because things are good, but because I'm not good and because this whole thing hasn't been good. And I can now rejoice not just in his goodness and the positive things, but I can, re I can rejoice in the bad things. You can be seated today. I am... 38 years old, so I'm, what, 2008, I graduated college. So somebody, Brother Cooney, how many years is that? What, 15 years I've been out or something like that? So I've been in, out of college a long time. I don't realize it until I look in the mirror and I'm like, 
I have gray hair. <laughs> I was like, man, if I just went bald, maybe you wouldn't see it. But then it might not grow back. So I'm like, I don't know. It's just somebody said, when are you going to cut your hair? I said, when it starts falling out. <laughs> then I'll go back to being bald fade and I'm good. I don't, I don't have to do that. But I've been out of college a long time. In college, we did this thing. I played football and we, we got a new coach my senior year. Going, junior year, going into senior year. Not what any of us wanted, but he, we had did some good things the junior year, and he felt like, okay, we're done. He was done, hired a new guy, and this guy was old-time coach. Right, Brother Hall? He was mean as a rattlesnake, super soft-spoken, but no nonsense. He believed in God. He believed that we were on the, the earth to do something for God, and he believed his calling was to shape young men into better young men, and I happened to be one of those young men, and he was from a small town and had did great things there, so when he came to, to Texas Lutheran University where I went, he, he had this thing that he did everywhere he went. He'd been coaching for like 50 years, and it was called boot camp, and I'm like, okay, well, sure, I've done boot camps before. This one was different. You had to wake up, at, and I think we started it, either started at 6, yeah, you started at 6, meaning the whistle blew at 6 a.m., Warm up, you need to stretch, doesn't matter, start at 6 a.m. Okay, that's one thing. But you were divided into groups based on your, your skill set or body size. So you had the big boys, you had the medium guys, and you had all the small kids. You know, the, the quick people. I was in the middle, so I was not big, but I was not quick, so I was in the middle. So we're like, all right, cool, we're, we're split up in groups. We're used to working together. And he said, there's three things. You have a task, you have a technique, and you have a timing. You show up here at 6 o'clock, and the whistle blows. At 6 a.m. on the dot exactly, he had a little stopwatch. He said, it starts. Boot camp starts. You're at three different stations. You're there for a certain amount of time, and then the whistle blows, and you rotate to the next station. Three stations, three groups, rotate. It was all about timing. The stations were organized in a way that you could afford absolutely zero mistakes. Not like... Well, you're bigger, or you're slower, or you're faster, so you got through done. You, mm, didn't matter. The big guys had to be done. The small guys had to lift the weight. There was a, a, a one for strength, one for like agility, and one for speed. You had to do them all. You could not rotate till your other group was done. So when the big boys are in the fast lane and they're taking forever, small kids are like, let's go. He had some parameters. And some of them were, you have to do it, you have to do it right, and you have to do it on time. And if you do not make the time, or you did not do it right, or anybody was late, you came back the next day at 6 a.m., weekends included. Doesn't matter what you're, you got to test the next day, you overslept, you're sick. You're sick? Sorry, nope, everybody didn't make it. He had no nonsense. There was no excuse for anybody not being there. And we had to do that over and over. And it was tough because some things were not suited for you. They were, they were for the big boys, for small kids. I'm like, how in the world, they, how can they, I can't get the, that drill done that fast. Doesn't matter. You have to be done. And everybody gets one chance to do it right. You don't, there's not a do-over like a, and then the end of the, you know, 645 comes up, and you're sweating, and you're done. You're like, oh, did we get it? Nope. Chase was late. Now he was, he walked in, literally, I walked the guy, he, watched him, he walked in like 15 seconds late. He was so not late that he like skipped in the line, because we weren't even through the drills yet. He was there, but he walked in late. We missed another one because somebody didn't do the drill right. Nope, he didn't do it. Missed another one because hey, you, you didn't, not everybody finished the drills on time. 6.45, blew the whistle. Oh, you're still working? You still had to finish it. You just had to come back the next day. So it was a grueling experience. But he made us, and every day he would literally preach to us. And I never thought I'd ever preach on this message. It was Romans. Rejoice in the suffering. Rejoice in the suffering. Because not only did you have to work, you complain. He had anybody complaining. 
saying a bad word, getting on to somebody and saying, hey, man, you're terrible. You need to pick it up. Nope. Start over. Well, he is terrible. No, no, that's not how you talk. You have to encourage him. You have to be there. If you were sitting there and you got done with your drill, you're set and you're waiting on somebody and you're. Or you took a knee because you were tired. Start over. Alves is bending over. Nobody bend over. Nobody. You had to stand up. You had to be supportive. If I was standing in the back, like, just taking a wind, trying to breathe and catch my breath, nope, start over. Alvis is being lazy. He's not supporting his teammates. And I'm like, this guy is real. <laughs> it was a, 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 uh, a rude awakening for quite a bit of us. And he said, if you don't want to do this, that's okay. Don't come back. You don't have to be on this team. We had several people quit in three days. Because they said, I'm not doing this. This is dumb. doesn't make any sense to me. So when we finished, we got a shirt. So we finally, we finally got it right. We got it on time. And everybody finished. It took some time for us to figure out, he ain't playing. And he told us, he's like, I have had a team do this for 21 days in a row. And I was like, y'all better come on. Like, we can't, we can't do this. I was like, I'm not coming up here 21 days in a row like this. It, it wasn't like a just like, oh, 6 o'clock stretch, and then we do a little workout. No, no, it was 90,000 miles an hour full tilt, and if you were not going full speed, you wouldn't make it. It was structured that way on, on purpose. I was like, he'd been doing this long enough to know. He knew how to, how to form it to make us push ourselves more than what we thought. So when we got done, we got a Now You Know shirt. It looked kind of like that. It was All it said on the front was Now you know. I was going to wear the shirt, but my sorry twin brother has it. So if you ever had a twin, he has something. He didn't even play sports. Here's my shirt. I earned that shirt, literally, with my sweat. And he's like, nah, I run it in all the time. Ah. He lived with me, and he ended up wearing it, and then he moved out, and now he still has it, 15 years later. And I was like, yeah. I need that shirt. Yeah, I ran in it today. It's dirty. Twins. So we got that shirt that says, now you know. And he did that on purpose. And he said, it, it's so that way when you look in the mirror and people ask you, first thing people did, if I wore that shirt, the first thing you're going to say is, now you know what? Because that's all it said. Had Romans on the back and it said, now you know. I was like, what? He said, now you know you can suffer and succeed. Now you know you can go through it and you're going to make it. Now you know you're more capable of what you, th- um, you're, you're more capable. You can go farther than what you think. See, if, if you never went through it, you wouldn't know. But now you went through it, so now you know. Because before boot camp started, we didn't know we could do that. In fact, we would always say, I don't understand why we have to be here. We just had a great year last year. We got like, you know, out of 22 starters, we had like 18 coming back. All seniors. We're good, coach. Nah, you could be better. We always don't understand why God lets us suffer. And a lot of times we just ask God, why? Now, we're not like, God, what is your will? What would you like, God? No, we're like, God, why? Imagine the nature of us. We love to challenge God and ask him, why I got to do this? Look at the life I've done. Look what I've done. right. I've been praying and fasting. I've been living for you. Why, God? Why do I got to do this? Why do I have to go through this? Romans says, character, faith, and hope. Builds us. The suffering works maturity in us. Now we can stay where we're at, or we can look the suffering right in the face and say, you know what, I think I'm gonna go through you. Not by my ability, but if God called me to it, He's gonna help me through it. Amen. See, when you live this life without God, you just suffer to suffer. You just suffer. For the sake of punishment. John 10 and 10 says the thief comes not 
except for what? To steal, to kill, and to destroy. Jesus said, I've come that you could have life and life abundantly. But the thief came to steal, kill, and destroy. So when you go through suffering, whether it's physical, emotional, spiritual, whatever it is, and you're not living for God, the Bible says kill, still kill, and destroy. Stealing your, your faith. You don't trust yourself. You don't trust God. You don't trust churches. You're, you're discouraged. That word kill is about doubting God's very existence, and it starts, the very root of it is about destroying completely as in a sacrifice using fire. Remind you of anywhere? He wants to kill you as in a sacrifice that is consumed by fire. Because hell is an absolute real place. Wasn't created for us. But we can definitely end up there if we allow the enemy to kill our faith. Nobody wants to talk about that. We're in like, oh, praise Jesus, clap your hands up. Jesus loves everybody. He does. Believe me, he does love you. But there's a relationship that he wants with you, and he is very adamant about it. He will pursue you even if it costs you some suffering. If it saves your soul, it's worth it. In fact, Paul said if there's any among you that are not living for God and you've talked to them and you've counseled and, you, and pastors ministered to them, give them up to Satan so their flesh could be destroyed, so their soul would be saved. We don't want to talk like that. That's what a true pastor will do. Because Jesus said, I've came to give you life and life abundantly. And life in that sentence means a breath both naturally and spiritually. And abundantly says, the root word of that is beyond or on the other side. See, Jesus wasn't even talking about this world, y'all. He saw this world. He's like, yep. See, we always see that scripture and like, well, enemies after you, so your life's going to be terrible. How many people come to God when the, everything's fantastic? But when it's terrible, what happens? They come to God. So maybe this world, we, we know as Christians, we're like, man, the world's getting, it's, it's going to hell. I'll tell you one thing, it's looking terrible. But what about people that aren't living for God? Their lives are fantastic. They got money in the bank, relationship, kids, everything's fine. Because the enemy is after your soul. He's not... He's not after anything else other than your soul, so he can make you love this life. Not by punishing you, by opening doors and giving you resources and you, well, I think I'm going to skip church today because if I work an extra three hours, man, I'll get triple time. I mean, I got that side job. Man, I can just, I don't, if, I don't have to pray today because God bless me on Sunday and it's Thursday. I'm good. I'm still, I'm good. Man, I got the boat. Let's go out on it. You love this life because life is, is sometimes good in the natural sense. But God isn't after your, just this life. He's after this one and the next one. This one and the next one. Jesus wants to save you here and there. Here and there. Like Dr. Seuss says in Green Eggs and Ham, here and there. Right, Sister Georgia? <laughs> she loves that book. And how, how does he know? How does he know the green eggs and ham are good? He fought it the whole time. And then he's like, oh. okay, look, listen, Sam. If you just let me be, I will try it and you will see. See, I read it all the time. <laughs> look at her. She's like, well, wait. Try it, try it, and you may. You may, I say. He's just... And he tries and he's like, say, I do like green eggs and ham. And I'll eat them on a boat with a goat and a house. With, and then he just eat them anywhere. He was so excited. Right, Georgia. Amen. She is so obsessed right now. She's like, why is he, why is he doing that up there? It's not, he doesn't have the book. I'm confused. But that is, Jesus is after you here and, and there. So my question today is, how do you know that God is good? I was praying for this service and started worshiping, and 
I said out loud, God, I thank you for being good. And I meant it with every bit of me. I said, God, I thank you for being good. You're so good, God. And I felt a still, small voice say, how do you know? Your word says you're good. He said, no, no, how do you know? And it hit me, and I was like, because your word says. And I said, God, you're faithful. Thank you, Jesus, for being faithful and true. And he said, how do you know? And I was like, because I'm not. God, I know you're good because I'm not. I have a reference point of your goodness because of things not going well. I have a new revelation of how faithful you are because people aren't. Because I'm not. I have a new revelation of your mercy. All things that we pray. God, I thank you for your mercy. You're so merciful, God. How do you know? How do you know God's merciful? Maybe because you messed up before? See, a, a big part of our struggle with living for God is that we think God looks at us the way we see us. And we battle with self-condemnation and guilt and shame. And sometimes God shows up and his hand reaches out towards us and the first thing we do is flinch. Because we expect it. Because we know. We know. We know what we did. We know that we're not obedient. We know that we're not submissive. And God reaches his hand, and we think he's going to hit us, and we're just like, ah, no. And he's like, actually, I'm picking you up. I'm like, God, I don't understand. Why, why, why would you? Because I'm merciful. But we would never know that unless we messed up and fell, unless we failed God. We want to know about his grace. How many of us? have something that we definitely know we don't deserve. I got two little girls I don't deserve. I have no business being a father. Should have never had it. But God's blessed me. But only because I messed up do I know that God is gracious. In the book of Kings in chapter 4, there's a widow who says, and a certain women of the wives of the sons of the prophets cried out to Elisha saying, your servant, my husband is dead. And you know that your servant feared the Lord. He served you. He served God. But the creditors are coming to take my two sons to be slaves. She owed a debt. And the man of God says, what you got in the house? Tells her to go out and get a vessel from all of her neighbors and pour the oil out over and over and over until she fills every vessel. And at the end in verse 7, it says, then she came and told the man of God, hey, they're full. He said, now go sell the oil, pay your debt, and you and your sons live on the rest. She had no idea what kind of provider God could be until her husband died, bills weren't paid, creditors showed up to take her kids. Now she has a whole new perspective. Before you think she served God because maybe her husband did, she thought God was a provider because of her husband. But now she said, whoa, whoa, I know, I know God is a provider because I was out. I had nothing. Now she knows, not that she learned, not that she heard. Now she knows God is good. Now she knows God is a provider because she had a need that God actually met. We want to say, God, I need you. God, show me. I want to grow closer to you, God. How? How? It's not an easy challenge to know God more. The Bible talks about knowing him in the fellowship of his suffering. God doesn't fail. We say that. We love it. My God never fails. How do you know? How do you absolutely know that? Some of us know. Because we failed. 
Because we tried and stretched our arm and put all our effort and we missed it. Because we, or people failed us. We relied and depended on parents and on job and on bosses and on resources. And we depended on them and we put all of our eggs in that basket. Or maybe you spread your eggs out in ten baskets. But either way, they broke and they failed and we, we left with nothing. And then, then, only then did we say, God, okay, that didn't work out. So maybe, God, can you help? And now we know God doesn't fail. Because things didn't, or things did fail us. Psalms 18 and 28 says, For you, for you will light my lamp, and the Lord my God will enlighten my darkness. We love the scripture, John 8 and 12, that says, I am the light of the world. Jesus said he's the light of the world. We're like, woo, amen, hallelujah. How do you know? Ever been in a dark spot? Can you testify and really tell somebody, hey, you know what? I've been where you were. Actually, I was there, and then I went kind of a little deeper. Because some people that are in dark places, you know, something that just haunts their mind, is, as I can testify, is that you feel absolutely abandoned and left in the dark. You're alone. It hurts. You're scared because it's dark. You don't, you can't see. Imagine darkness. You can't see where you're going. You don't know what's there. You feel lost because you're in darkness. And we think God is not in the dark. Because he's the light. So God, if you're the light, why am I in this darkness? He said, so I can show you the way out. You don't know God about being a healer until you've been broken hearted. You don't know God about being a, somebody gives you peace till you've been poisoned in your brain and you can't seem to sleep and you got anxiety and fear. You, we don't want to face that fear and we don't want to face those things. And God says, I want to show you more of who I am. I want to take you maybe through a dark place. God, why am I here? Because I'm teaching you more of me. Why, God? Why are you teaching me more of you? I know enough, God, I'm good. He said, no, 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 there's, see, I came to seek and to save that which was lost. Luke 19 and 10, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. Seek to find you. You know that scripture comes from whenever Jesus was walking with a crowd of believers and disciples and he looks up in a tree and he sees Zacchaeus, who was a sinner. And he just walks over to him and says, hey, come down here. Today I'm going to go eat and stay at your house. And the church said, oh, I don't know why he's going over there and staying with him. Because he's a sinner. <laughs> Jesus said, I didn't come for you. I can, that's what I came for. That's what I'm going to die for. I came for the messed up and the broken. I came for the failures. See, Zacchaeus had money, and he said, God, you know what? I'm, anything I stole from people, I'm going to restore four times the month. And Jesus said, this day salvation's come to your house. Because Zacchaeus said, I have things. I have a good life, but I still need something else. Because he was lost, that's how he knew he needed God. How do you know Jesus loves you? Because the Bible tells me so. Right? That's the song. Jesus loves me, this I know. Because the Bible tells me so. Yeah, really? How do you know? And we say, Jesus loves me because he died on the cross. Mm, is that what the scripture says? God kind of punched me in the face. And I was like, yeah, God, because you died. That's why. No. Wrong. Romans 5, 6 through 8. You ready? You see... 
at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. So we're like, oh, okay. That's where we stop. Because he died for us. No, no, no. Let's keep reading. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. But for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. If somebody said, hey, you saved your kids, but I got to take you. I'm like, ooh, I'm there. Right? Some people, I'm like, no, you're going to take them, not me. And no, 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 you, you can kill them. I will stay. But then for, you know, my family, my wife and kids, my twin brother that I mentioned, who is always an antagonizer, he says, if someone, George or Gianna, which one? You got to choose. Both hanging off a cliff. Which one? I'm like, me. Because his first question was, well, George or Gianna, or, like, or, or, or they're going to, Blow your leg off. Take both, right? Well, no, no. You got Georgia, Gianna. You got to choose one. As a parent, we're like, oh, do anything. The Bible says, for some, we would die for good people. Your best friend, your parents. I don't think there's anybody in your in in this house that you can't say there's not one person you would actually die for. So if there's somebody you would die for, how are you any different from Christ? Because we say Christ loved us, so he died for us. But me dying for you, you know, I love you, ain't going to save your soul. I promise you. That is not a sacrifice the Lord wants. But what does the scripture say? But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners... He died for us. Oh, you mean I wasn't good enough to die for? Nope. You were terrible a sinner, and he saw everything you were going to do, and he said, you know what? Still worth it. Oh, they can't pay the bill back? It's okay. Still worth it. Oh, you know what? They can't, they can't give me anything? Still worth it. He said, while they were yet in progress, in the middle of the sin, but God, I, I got to get my life cleaned up before you can love me. No, that's not what he said. He said, you're in the middle of your mess. You're a sinner. You're a failure. You do messed up things. It's okay. That's why I died for you in that moment. While you're right there in that condition, that's what I want you in. Because that's why I died. I didn't die for you to get good, and then I died for you. No, no, I said you're messed up anyway, and I died just for you just the same. He sacrificed his life because he said, you know what? You're worth it. When you looked at the mirror and said, no, I'm not worth it. I quit. I don't, I don't think, I, I can't do this anymore. I'm not worth it. I quit this relationship. I quit this marriage. I quit this job because it's not worth it. God said, yeah, it's okay. I think you are. It's okay. I still think you're worth it. He said, you know what? Paid in full. Everything you owe me, it's okay. God, I can't pay you back. How in the world can I fix all this mess? God, he's like, it's okay. You, you let me take care of the bill. Not because I wasn't a sinner. Not because I wasn't a sinner, but because I was a sinner. Because I am a sinner. That, that's how I know God is a redeemer. Because of me. Because of all the messed up stuff I've done. Because of my suffering, I know God is good. Some sinners, and I've heard it and i said it myself. I ain't going to church, man. It burn up. Right, Chris? It catch on fire when I walk in there. No, nah, no, nah, y'all don't want somebody like me around. No, nah, I mean, you don't know what I've done. I, I can't go there. I can't be used of God. I, I mean, I, I go to church, but you don't know my secret stuff. I know I'm not right with God. We say those things of just condemning, condemning, condemning. We say, well, God's not going to want me. Look. Because nobody knows you like you. We may be in self-denial and pretend to other people, but it's just you in that mirror. You late at night. You're stuck in a, a repeat offender stage because you have no self-value and self-worth. You keep doing the same things over and over because you're trying in your flesh and you don't think God loves you enough to help you out of it. Why have the Holy Ghost? But you still don't understand that how much God loves you because you still don't submit to God. So you received the spirit two years ago, ten years ago, and then you just kind of 
or hanging out. You're wondering why things are bad in your life. Or don't understand why you're... I mean, God's supposed to give me His Spirit and I'm supposed to be an overcomer forever. I got the Holy Ghost and I'm never going to make another mistake. God's like, well, you will. You're going to understand how much I love you. You understand about my grace and mercy. You understand my overcoming power if you just learn to follow me. How do I learn? Sometimes you got to mess up. Sometimes we just mess up. And we say, I don't belong there. I don't belong on that, in that position. I don't belong in that church. I don't belong in that relationship. I don't belong. You're absolutely right, according to me and you. And God said, mm, that's actually why I want you. He said, you remember Paul? Remember Paul? You know what Paul was doing? Walking around imprisoning and killing Christians. He wasn't one of the disciples, y'all. He goes over to Damascus and he gets a nice letter of authority to go. I got more Christians to go get. Ooh, here I go. He was passionate about what he thought was right. Now, God could have just showed up and kicked him in the teeth and slayed him. Boom. Done. Got rid of him. Oop. God said, hmm, I see that passion you're using for the world that I put in you, and I think I, we can use that for the kingdom. I see your desire for the law and how you studied the law and how you know every Jewish tradition and how you're, you're so passionate that anything that comes against it, you're going to go get it. And he said, ooh, I put that stubbornness and that, pro, that, 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 that just commitment in you. And he said, you know what? You're using it for the world. But that's about enough. Because on the road to Damascus, going to go do what he thought was right, and he had all the courts behind him. He had all the support of the world. He was the dude. And Jesus showed up and knocked him literally right off of his animal there, and it's like blinded him. He's like, what? He said, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who, who are you? I am Jesus. And Paul said, wait, what do you? What do you mean? He said, go over here and wait. And he sent him a man of God. And he spent three years studying under the men of God and the spirit of God. And all of a sudden, Paul said, whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm no longer Saul, but now I'm going to turn into Paul. And now, now the greatest, one of the greatest writers of the Bible. Which one of us would say, Pastor Green's no longer a pastor, but the new pastor is going to be a murderer, thieving. Somebody just kills people and beats up Christians all day. Uh, nah, we're going to vote no. In fact, when he went to the disciples, you know what they said? Uh, isn't this the saw that would kill us? Like, well, I don't want to. -uh. And the prophet and the man of God said, well, just let him teach him. While he was in the middle of being a sinner, Jesus came and transformed his life. Singers, you can come. While he was in the middle of it. David has written things like 73 or 5 psalms. Wrote most of the psalms. And I got to studying about why did David write the psalms. More importantly, what was he doing? And then, you know, we... The familiar, Psalms 23, the Lord is my shepherd, and I shall not want. I like it. We would say it before football game. It's posted in the locker room. It's at Hobby Lobby. Right? We know it. It is. If I challenge you, who has that in your house? Don't raise your hand. Someone probably does. <laughs> on a little tablet somewhere, it's like, oh, I got this little nightstand lamp that says, the Lord is my shepherd. He's light into my path. We have that. And it's good. And it's true. I mean, I could preach a whole message on it. It's awesome. And even unbelievers, people that don't live a life for Christ, will say it. But I got to study. And when did David write that? When he was in a cave? Being chased by his father-in-law, Saul. Alone. Life on the line. Wondering if God's going to rescue him or not. In a 
cave, huh, Chris? Like an actual cave, y'all. Only Chris knows about that. Right? Amen. He was alone. But then in that spot, he learned something. I'm being chased by my enemy. Not just some enemy, just some random enemy of my family. One he married into. Be careful. But he's being chased by them. His life is threatened. I'm not writing a psalm about that. I'm writing a psalm about, God, where are you? God, I need some help. God, rescue me. He said, no, no, the Lord is my shepherd. And I, there's nothing I need that he's not going to provide. And you read the whole scripture, and it's just such a tranquil, peaceful scripture. David also starts writing in Psalms 51 and 10. We say it, I pray this prayer all the time. And as I was praying, I prayed it. And something said, when did David write that? And I was like, that's a good question. Go find out. Created me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit in me. About the time he killed Uriah for his wife that he committed adultery with, and the son died as a result. Talk about odds stacked against you. That he's still in the middle of his failure. He committed adultery. Got her pregnant and was like, whoops, let me go kill her husband. That'll solve that. And the prophet said, actually, no, God sees you. He's a king. A man after God's own heart. This wasn't David as a young boy on the backside of a mountain taking care of sheep all day. This was David the king who had conquered multiple nations. David the king that was praised by everybody. David that everybody liked. That was the David. That now he got to the point in his life. He thought he knew God. But see, up up until the Uriah time, David had been on the very top. He slew the giants. Saul killed his thousands, but David the ten thousands. They sang it after him. They praised him. To the point made Saul jealous. He was David the man. Ain't none of y'all about to fight David. He was, in my mind, he's probably like 6'8", 350. Right. Probably wasn't. But that's what I think he is. The Bible calls him a ruddy-faced man, so he wasn't even big, but he was just, he was the dude. He killed anybody that opposed God. He made sure to do everything righteous that God told him to do. He was right with God. But he didn't know God in in suffering. He didn't know God in mistakes. He didn't know God in messing up. But what makes David so different than every other king? Because all the kings continually served God and then went somewhere else. Or they didn't serve God in the first place. They would serve God for a little bit and then mess up. Or they'd serve God 90% of the way and keep some idols around. Or they would always conquer one nation, but then, ah, well, I'm going to go here with these, this foreign nation. I'm going to marry some of their women, and I'm going to just have these idols in here. I'm going to build some temples. And every king did mostly right, and they would kind of fiddle around with some other stuff. And David said, well, he, he's doing great. He is on it. He's doing everything right. And then David had a mistake. Multiple ones in a row. You ever make a mistake and you try to do something else to fix the mistake and it's a mistake too? And then that mistake becomes another mistake. And then you're like, I just can't handle it. Your mistakes just weigh you down and you become depressed and discouraged. Have you ever meet anybody that's consistently doing sinful, malicious things? It's not because they don't want to do better. They just don't feel like they're any better. Self-condemnation and the enemy just comes in and beats you down. Look at you. You did that. You might as well did that. You did that. You might as well go that far. You went that far. You might as well go that far. We went and visited some young men. And Chris was giving his testimony. And 
one party leads to one drug and it's just weed. God made it. It's not bad for you. And then that led to another drug and another drug. You're looking at a room full of kids that started, it's just one friend that's not really godly. And they get close to that friend and they teach them different things. And they're like, well, that was fun. Well, that was fun. Now is it fun? You're sitting in a boy's home away from your family and friends. Now is it fun when your friends die around you? Now is it fun when you're addicted and you physically can't get out of the addiction? Well, maybe you're not addicted to drugs, but you're addicted to the praise of people. The validation because you're so insecure from how you were raised. You dress and look perfect all the time because you can't do it any other way because you have to have the approval. You don't believe it? Look at social media. You have to post. You have to share because if you don't, you'll feel insecure. Nobody's going to praise you. Like you, you need the praise of man. You're addicted to that. So it's not a, a heroin, but it's addiction nonetheless. You can't stay off of social media and seeing what somebody else is doing and measuring yourself against them. You can't. You got to look at how many likes you got because if you don't get enough likes off that picture, oh, what did I? We change our houses and our wardrobes and we upgrade our homes and we buy the cars so that way sister or my brother or sister thinks that got it going on. I got this car and I got that house and I got these clothes and you can impress the people around you. So you're not on drugs, but you're on an addiction of pleasing man versus pleasing God. How do you know? Have a financial conversation. You're buying things you can't afford. Why? Why are you buying that? Well, I, I need a new outfit. Why? Why do you care? And I'm not being, like, arrogant. I'm just asking, like, seriously, why do you care? I ask you, like, why do I need those? Why do I need that? Why do I have to buy the car that I can't afford? Because you're trying to please somebody else. You think God cares what car you drive? God bless me with this car. It's over your budget and you can't afford to pay tithes. That God didn't bless you with that car. Like, it don't work that way. You blame God for stuff. But David was doing great too. And then he messed up. The difference between David and every other king is this, is that he said, yeah, I know. Help me, God. When the prophet came to him and said, you are the man that stole and murdered, he could have killed him. He had all the power to do so. He didn't. He said, woe is me. You're right. It's me, God. His humility said, yeah, that's me. And God said, yeah, I know. <laughs> so he could write, create in me a clean heart, oh God. And renew a right spirit in me. Because he now knew that God could cleanse him from anything. That God could set him free. He learned a whole new revelation of God's mercy and grace and redeeming power and authority. He said, oh man, I, now I can really worship God. Now I can really praise God. Now I know what it's like to serve God even when I made some mistakes, not just when I've been right. Because now he knew that God really loves him. And I want to encourage you today that you may be going through some suffering. Or maybe you feel like you're not lovable. And maybe you made some mistakes. That's, that's okay. That's great because now you know God can love you. Ask some people that have been there. Can God love me through that? Can God love me through darkness, through abandonment and neglect and abuse? Absolutely. How do you know? Because now I have the shirt. Why did God let you go through that? So you can know how good he is. So you could really love him the way he loves you. So you can reach out and grab somebody else and teach them, hey, let me show you how God loves you. 
This was me. This is my testimony. I was broken, undone, and a wretched man. But God loved me anyway. One reason I love our church is because any, any visitor comes in and thinks that we're all, we got our suit and tie on. Don't let it fool you. Because there's testimony after testimony of God's mercy and grace and redeeming power. You don't know, but you can know. You can know that God is actually for you. And he's not against you because even though you're not for him right now, he still chooses you. That even though you're not living for him, he's still reaching for you. If you have breath in your body, God's after you. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you've done. Now, the world may tell you at your job, well, you got to earn a position. Maybe somebody in church told you, well, you're not good enough to serve. And you can stand. But you know what? You don't deserve that position. You don't deserve that. And maybe they didn't say it that way. But when you're serving, they're like, well, why is he serving? Why is she there? Why did you get blessed like that? They're not even living right. And God blessed them. God still loves them. Now maybe you know that nothing can separate you from the love of God because we talk about that and we preach it. How do you know that nothing's going to separate you from the love of God? Did you ever read that scripture? Death, nor life, nor perils. It doesn't say, oh, all the fantastic things. This is a bunch of suffering, a bunch of heartache. I know nothing can separate me from the love of God. Because I walked away from God. And I said, God, I don't need you. God, you can't heal me. God, you're not worth it. God, this isn't worth it. God, I quit. God said, that's okay. I'll follow you right into the middle of your darkness. And I'll show you I'm the God of the dark just like I am of the light. That I'm not limited to just brightness and goodness and, oh, things going great. He said, I'm a God of everything you go through. And now you can know that I am the I am. When Moses met God on the backside of the desert, he said, Who's go- who are you? He said, I am the I am. What does that mean? I am your fill in the blank. But God, I don't know how I'm going to get this. I don't know how I'm going to get through this. I don't. God, I quit. I'm done. I said, That's okay. I'm going to go right. You got breath? I, you still have time. I'm going to come get you. But God, I don't deserve it. I, look at me. Look what I've done. I I shouldn't be. I shouldn't be here, God. God said, you're right. You're right because while you were yet a sinner, that's why I died. Not because you were good. We got to get this thing out of our brain that we got to start living right to start serving God. No, no, no. We just have to submit to God. He will do all the right fixing. He will tell you how to live, how to dress, how to talk, where to go and not go. Don't even worry about that. That's not for you to decide anyway. It is for God to tell you, you know what? I love you and you, you wretched man. You're right. I love you like that. God loves me like that. Yep. Because now he said, now I can finally do a work. Because when we're broken and undone, we say, okay, God, this is all I got left. Can you fix it? God, I need you to be a redeemer. I am a redeemer. God, I need you to be a somebody who forgives me. I am a forgiver. Uh, God, I need a savior. I am one who saves you. God, I need some healing. God, I can heal that too. What about my broken heart? What about my broken mind? What about my abandonment? I can heal that too. What about molestation and anger and bitterness and hate in my heart? Oh, I can go ahead and fix that too. How do I look? God, I can never love people. I hate people. I was there. I hated people. Walked in this church and hated you. You just didn't know it because I didn't want to be impolite. Just couldn't stand people. Would rather go home and be alone all the time. Why? Because I hate people. Because I was bitter and angry at God and everybody else. And God said, okay, you ain't scaring me off. I still want you. Now I know because I went through some suffering. Because I knew God before suffering. But now I can know God on a new level. So there's two groups here today. 
and God wants you just the same. Maybe, maybe you've been through some stuff. And if you have, thank you for getting to know God. Encourage you to make sure you keep that in your mind because the journey isn't over. We don't get to a platform in God and stay there. God wants you the way you are. And he will grow you into what he wants. He wants you in your suffering. Not to get done suffering and then you think you'll be healed and then God can use you and bless you and help you. He wants you right in the middle of it. He's not trying to hurt you. The enemy has, and the world has that suffering that just is punishment. And God said, no, rejoice in the suffering because it's going to work something in you. I don't understand what it's going to work. I know that's okay. You don't need to know. I'm God. I know. But God, how? Why? Because I loved you. My love is unconditional. My love is boundless. It goes farther than what you can think. Don't put God in your little brain and restrict him. Now you can know that God is for you. He's on your side. Because maybe you're not. Not what everybody thinks you are. You and God, what you know. Are you really for God? No. Okay, God will still take you. God will still take you. Whether you are, you know God, maybe some of you don't. You just know suffering. You just know abuse. You just know a hard life. And I'm sorry you went through that. But I'm also not sorry. Because I know me. I know what I went through. And I know how it's helped me. Because God was in it. And I know people like Chris. And I've heard his testimony. And I'm sitting there just listening to him talk. And he forgave the man that murdered his mom. He's a better man than me. And I'm like... That's how I know that God, now I know God's a healer because see, he knows. And he can tell me, hey, let me tell you how God's a healer. I'm like, oh, that's a real one. That's not just some fancy preaching message. That's a real one that says, oh, God can forgive not only you, but he can use you to forgive somebody else. Only God can do that. That's how I know God is real. And I want to encourage you today as they begin to worship and sing. If you know God, if, if now you already know, find somebody and encourage them that they can know a little more about God too. And for those of you that don't know, whether it's public or private sin, I don't care. There's no condemnation in Christ. Whether it's not, maybe it's not sin, but it's just a numbness because of the hurt you've been through because the pain just makes you like man I I quit now maybe you can know God as somebody that redeems you that can heal you in the middle of your brokenness because I love that God's a healer and a way maker and provider and we sing the songs how do you know Unless you go through it. And when you do now, you can look the enemy in the face. And the next battle. And you can say, hey, now I know that God can set me free. How do you know? Because he set me free from that relationship, from that addiction, from that poison. Now I know. Let's have a time of prayer. If you would come and seek the face of God and ask him to let you know it's not an easy prayer because maybe you'll go through some suffering but when you can go through suffering and still praise God in the middle of it then you know that you've really gotten close to God now you know that God is really God because you can rejoice in the suffering. Not just in the good. 
but you can rejoice in the suffering. In your dark place, you can get to know God there because He's not afraid of your ugly stuff. You don't know. I don't need to know. God knows. I don't need to know. God knows, and He said, while you're in the middle of that ugly sin that you're in, I still chose to die for you. I chose you in the middle of the pornography and the addiction and the bitterness and the hate. I, I know you're in the middle of it. I know, and that's why I died. Not just because you're good or because you're bad, but because you were in the middle of it. That's why I died. While you were a sinner, not after your sin, while you were sinning. That's how we know He loves us. Because we are sinners. Let's pray for a season. If you already know, find somebody to pray with. And if you don't know, go ahead and learn today. Find somebody that maybe you think knows. And let them tell you about how good God's been in their sin.